Wealth Without Wall Street tribe. Welcome back to another episode of Wealth Without Wall Street. This is an 18-part series on breaking down the iconic book, Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. And this is part eight, where we're setting up the entity. If you're going to be a banker, you have to have a bank. So what sort of bank should you set up? In this episode, Russ and I go head to head talking about the difference between term and whole life insurance. You're not going to want to miss that. And lastly, if you've ever considered why wouldn't Index Universal Life, IUL, or anything else other than a properly structured whole life insurance policy work as this entity? You're going to want to tune in to the answer in today's episode. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Muret. Welcome. This is the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Your host, Joey, the Italian stallion Muret, joined as always by Russ, the idea guy, Morgan. Russ, we are continuing our conversation. This is part eight of the review on Becoming Your Own Banker, the classic book by Nelson Nash. We all live and die by this book, and so figured it might be important to start talking about it. I hope we don't die by it, bro. Come on. I, mean, I, know, I know you love the, uh, the dramatic, but this is not a dying thing. This is a living thing. Well, exactly. That's kind of, I mean, we didn't even plan this, uh, but the entree into our topic today is the entity. Creating the entity of your own banking system involves life insurance. It does, but most life insurance is really not looked upon as life insurance. It's looked upon as death insurance, right? That's Something right. that you buy in the event that you're going to die, which we all know. How many of us are going to die, Joey? 100%. See, I, you always think that I'm busting you. See, like I give you like just a softball right there. That was a T-ball home run right there. Got him. Absolutely. Just, yeah. man, looking good out of the gate. Got him on Facebook Live today. Got his new haircut. <laughs> man, so good. Well, today, yeah, we are. I mean, this chapter is thirty uh, pages 36 through 39 is where you can get in the weeds if you want to in this area. And Nelson kind of would go through and talk about the life insurance tables, about, you know, the mortality at which people die, the rate at which people die, and help people understand, one, how insurance companies are trying to charge for this life insurance, how all that works. We're not going to dive too deep into that. There's a couple of nuggets, though. As I was reading this, uh, preparing for our podcast, I kind of took away. First is, we all want our cake I want to eat it too. Absolutely. We right. covered this on another podcast before. We want access to cash and we want the death benefit. That's right. Why do we need to choose between the two? Right. And I think that leads me into one of the things that came to my mind as I was reading through this is why is it that there's two ends of the spectrum and they're constantly at battle each other? You've got the term termites on the right side, right? That's the term insurance people. And then you get the whole life people on the other end who are saying, oh, my stuff's so good. And at the end of the day, obviously we own both. You and I have That's both right. whole life and term insurance. Our clients own lots of both. There's not a, a, a yes or no, it's yes. Uh, it, it's a, a mixture of what we're trying to accomplish. But there's really, there's, when you get online, you kind of see this fight for which one is right. And the right is yes, they're exactly. both. 
Yeah, I, I always talk about it as this is, if you think about like there's a mountain, there's one person that's looking at it from one angle and they have a perspective of what that mountain is there for. Maybe it's like a challenge that they want to get up it and they're looking forward to it. And then the other side of that perspective, there's somebody over there and they see it as a burden mm. that they have to go over or they, they can't get past or whatever. It's the same mountain, right? It's the same. Insurance is the same tool. It's just depending on what perspective that you're looking at it from that dictates your use of it or lack thereof. Yeah, so here, here's one of the things. We get this question a lot. Give us some of the cons to doing this whole becoming your own banker, infinite banking thing. And I'd say one of the first one that come to my mind is that you actually have to be able to qualify for the life insurance because not everybody does. That's right. There's a lot of factors that could limit your access to this as a vehicle. So your health, number one, right? We have people that may have some sort of a limiting uh, disease, there may be some sort of a past history that you went through that maybe it's too soon that the insurance company is not really comfortable insuring you against because they know these are actuaries. This is one of the things from uh, Nelson's book. These are actuaries. They're not taking, they're not like one day coming in and saying, you know what? I don't know. I don't know about this guy or this girl. They're looking at the data and they're saying, this person will die within X amount of time because they don't know this person, but out of a thousand people with this sort of situation, that more people will die than we're really willing to take the risk. Off. This is at Planet Fitness, bro. This is not a judgment-free zone. This is a very discriminatory group of people. <laughs> They're going to look at you hard and fast and determine, do they want you in the club? And by the way, as a person in the club, I want them looking really hard because at the end of the day, we want to make sure only the people that we're grouping with, that we're buying life insurance with, are the most healthy the people that well even if you're not the most healthy but they're they're the most consistent in their health that the insurance company can adequately rate them in a way that they can charge the right uh, price for that cost so that us as owners in this company are having this undue burden that exists right now like in our health insurance world right you have oh all these gosh. people out there that are able to now get into the health insurance community because of the 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 doing away with the pre existing condition. That's kind of like buying fire insurance once your house goes on fire. We don't have that in life insurance and I'm thankful for that. Well, it's, yeah, it's to, for your protection. This is your asset. You've created an asset that is growing and it's going to be dependent on how good the insurance company is at managing risk, at profit, all these things. So don't you want them to be making wise decisions with that capital, absolutely. So here, here comes kind of the part. So yeah, if, if you don't already own a whole life policy or doing this concept of infinite banking, there's a process you have to go through to actually you know, have somebody come out, draw blood, take a urine sample, ask you some medical questions. You have to step on the scale. We have some people that are not able to get the life insurance because they would like, I, I like to uh, refer to them kindly as vertically challenged. So you're saying they're short. Well, I'm saying they're fat that, and, and that their, uh, their height is not big enough, right? I mean, so their weight may work for seven, four, you know, individual. Frame. Yeah, for a yeah, seven, four male frame, but not necessarily for a five, one female frame. And so exactly. that, that, I like to say that that's vertically challenged. 
but so when we, when we dig into this, we know that there's some things that we're going to have to go through that health insurance part. And we need to know kind of how that plays into the whole big scheme of like getting this in place. So in here, there's this like chart. And for those who don't have a book, it's on page 36. Yeah, Nelson always used to refer to it as the pig in the python. Yeah. You remember that? I do remember him saying that. So explain picking a Python for somebody who's so, listening. I mean, if you can't, if you can visualize this, it's, it's like a bar chart up on its side. Yeah. Okay. And it's talking about from ages, from birth to age 25 to age 45, 65, 80. He's showing at what stage where people were to die, actuarial tables, mortality table from 1958 is what he's really referring to here. And so you can see it very few people die between uh, zero to 25. Yeah, zero to 25. Then there's more from 45 to 65. And then 75% of the people are dying after age 65. Yeah, I mean, when you look at this, so he, he would refer to it as the pig and the python. You know what a python is, right? Yeah, it's a snake. Yeah, you know what a pig is, right? Yeah, bacon. <laughs> you about to say, about to say sandwich. <laughs> yes, I love it, bacon. Everything's better with bacon. I had it for lunch. You, you can imagine what happens if a pig eats a python, right? Grabs it. Gets stuck right there. Gets in stuck in the middle, right? And slowly but surely, though, what happens? It starts moving it through. And so he shows this chart, this 1958 chart, and you see kind of the front edge of where the spike of the deaths start occurring out of the thousand is right around age 65. And it probably peaks somewhere in that 70 to 71 range and then slowly starts tapering back off around 80, obviously going down to age 100. Well, now we have mortality tables that are using the most current of information. It's 2017. Right. And all that's happened is, is that pig has just moved down, <laughs> moved down the snake a little bit, right? So that that's spike right. is happening more closer to 70, 75. And we've seen that taper off around 85 toward 90. It, it's just moved down. The health insurance group out there, most of you that are listening to this are physicians, dentists, and stuff like that. You guys are helping the world be healthier. The Tom Nichols that, that are coming on our podcast is teaching people how to be healthier, working out, eating better. I mean, all of this is helping us live longer, which just means that the rate at which uh, people are, are dying is at a later time. Well, here's where I want to come back to our conversation of term insurance and whole life insurance. Yeah. Is at, we know that the objective in, in lots of things, and when somebody buys insurance, is they're saying, man, I want to protect against if I were to die. Right. And there's not a question as to how you do it um, or the money that you have. We need to first start off with what we, we talked about in a previous podcast. Uh, was it podcast six? Uh, the, on the yeah, subject the review of yeah, this part, book on yeah, part six. Yeah. Part six, where we talked about human life value. We figured out what is our life worth. Uh, and, and for some of us, it's worth a lot more than others. And that's only determined by our income, our, our, our assets and things like that. The, the thing that, um, that helps us kind of make sure that this all comes together, though, for us, is that we've got, um, my, my brain just skipped there, Joe. You have to help me. I, well, it, the human I lo- life I lost value, track. The human life Shocking. value is based on replacing your income. To your family, like what is your value as as somebody that's producing for the family? The insurance is there to that. That's why how they determine your life values. They say this is how much your net income is over the rest of your working years, and they say that's how much insurance you can get. You can't get more than that. All right. So the brain came back to my or the the brain came back to my ear. 
Aaron got back in my brain. I figured out what I was saying there. Give me a second. Sorry about that. Air in your brain. Wait a minute. Airhead. Oxygen. You know what I'm talking about. Come on, man. So, yes, what I, what I was kind of going there is that we have this value, and we need to make sure we ensure against whatever that value is. But there was a comment way back when that started, uh, or a movement that was started called the buy term invest the difference. Who, who's ever heard of that? Yeah. And it's been popularized by our friend Dave Ramsey. That's right. Right. And if you want to hear Dave. more about Dave Ramsey, just go listen to the podcast or the video we did on why Dave Ramsey is wrong. <laughs> what he got wrong about life insurance, got, uh, about investing in life insurance, all of those things. But he did an article uh, that was kind of popularized, but really it started way back in the eighties with a guy named Arthur Williams. Yeah. A.L. Williams, the founder of, I guess, I don't know if it was his original name of his company, but eventually became Primerica. And then he sold it to Citibank for how much? I don't know, like $5 billion oh, or something yeah, crazy. He, he knows a little bit about business, but he was a crusader against whole life. Yeah. And, right? and it, as I was reading his Wikipedia page, which has to be 100% accurate. So if there's anything, if you're somehow related to him and I'm getting this wrong, please don't hate me. Go back and change the Wikipedia page and I'll change my, uh, and everybody else who comments off, I will change based upon that. But what I was reading in there is that it looks like his father died at maybe a younger age. Right. And that it said that and this he had this whole life policy. Let me read it so that way I don't inadequately uh, state this thing. It says his father uh, died at an early age from a heart attack. He had a whole life insurance policy that left their family underinsured. All right, so question, Joey. Um, did the insurance policy leave the family uninsured? Underinsured? Underinsured, I'm sorry. I, I would not blame the insurance policy for that. Why not? Because the insurance policy didn't determine how much coverage it was going to provide. Well, it said here clearly right after the fact that uh, five years after this, that Art um, was talking to his cousin, Ted, and he was introduced to the concept of term life insurance, a much less expensive and simpler alternative to whole life insurance, which was never being sold at that time. And he was taken back by the idea that knowing that there was a better idea to buy insurance that his dad should have known about instead of buying the whole life. All right. So, so let's break that down for a second. If... What, what he's saying there is his dad would have had more coverage if he knew about term insurance. Because this is, we're, we're about to. He okay. clearly didn't know about it. All right, what, so what you're saying. this is the termites uh, like battle stance right here. So let's get ready. Let's go after it. Because which one do you want to be? You want to be the termite? You want to be the whole life guy? I'm going to choose to be a whole life. Okay, I'm going to be a termite for you. So I, I want to I stand on this. I'm going to kind of go at you from where I see this argument being. Joey. If if the guy who sold Art Williams' dad uh, was sitting there and he really cared about him, he would have taken the money that, let's just use $100, and we don't know what the number was. Let's just say it was $100 a month that his dad had to buy insurance with, and he convinced him to buy a whole life policy with that. If he would have told him uh, about term insurance, he would have sold him a, a term policy for $100, would he or would he not have had a lot more insurance? Yes. He would have. If he, if he used the same $100 to buy term insurance instead of whole life, then he would have had more coverage for that $100. See, uh, argument done. See, you guys see how easy this is? But Joey, he man, wanted to be in the whole down. life. I just laid down. There. That, was, that was easy, man. I see the Democratic debate. I mean, just put me on the stage with those jokers. <laughs> but, but that's not really what he was stating, was it? If he's, if he's 
saying he well, should. Well, you have a different argument here? Well, uh, here's what you said. You said you should buy term and invest the difference. So what that tells me is you would say, well, how much coverage can I get for that $100 in whole life? I'd say it's $125,000, let us say. And that's what Dave said, at least, in his article. Well, then you would have bought the same amount of coverage maybe for $7 instead of $100, the way Dave lays out, and you'd have taken the 93 and invested the difference. So your coverage would have been the exact same. Well, see, you've changed the argument now. What? Yeah, I mean... I said he had a hundred dollars. If he had a hundred dollars, he buys more insurance because he buys term. And if he would have died in that same time frame, he'd have more money. And now you're telling me that he wouldn't have bought a hundred dollars worth of insurance. He would have only bought seven. Exactly. That's what people are told to do. That's buy a term, invest the difference. All right. So I, I do see this coming from the perspective of reading up on the term by term invested difference crowd is that there is this invested difference, not by term with all of it. Exactly. See, there's the, there's the breakdown, I think, in the argument. I, I'm willing to come along your side on this one right now. Okay. I'm willing to come along and say, hey, you know what? That Yeah, the by term invested difference breaks down in the fact that they wouldn't have going to take a hundred dollars and buy term insurance with it. He would have bought say a term policy with $7 a month. He would take in the other $93. We're referring to the article that Dave Ramsey formally wrote and has taken off the internet. I think I'm going to give you a high five on that one. Cause I Dang. feel like we had something to do with that, yes. uh, that it was rewritten. Uh, we, we did do a blog post. We did do a video and uh, some podcast on that. And shortly thereafter, they, they took down the uh, old article, which was on the whole, truth of uh of life insurance i think that was the name of the article i've forgotten a little bit of that but it was in that article it said that the person is going to buy a hundred twenty five thousand dollar policy if he bought it with a whole life he buys it with a hundred dollars he buys a term policy buys it with seven right so he has ninety three dollars to invest the difference so in this scenario if art's dad would have bought a term policy with the seven he'd have the ninety three dollars and whatever it would have uh, you know, earned. earned or whatever over the length of time. And we obviously don't know how long it was before when he bought the, the whole life policy to when he died. Right. But let, let's say it was a 20 year term. He had $93 a month for 20 years. It, it would have been something. Yeah. We don't know how much it would have been, but of course, you know, Dave says it'd be standard 12%, <laughs> you know, earn that. Well, anyway, that's, that's beside the point. Well, I, I think there's the, the part that I see this thing breaking down is one is that you and I own both whole life and term insurance. So we're not anti-term uh, insurance. We actually buy term insurance as a method to in, uh, to for an option to increase our whole life policies in the future because we don't know if our insurability is going to always be there. I mean, I took that exam the other day. The lady told me, hey, that's the best blood pressure I've ever had. I've ever seen. Wow. And I thought, man, that's off. jackpot better get as much of that as I can, right? <laughs> I mean, and at that cheaper price, it's okay. So here's a, the other part there. I just said something. I want to challenge you on this. And let's go through this. Is term insurance cheaper than whole life insurance? The answer is no. Wait a second. No, Joey, come on now. I just I, I can go buy a $3 million term policy for about 100 bucks a month. And you're telling me, that if I go buy a whole life policy for three hundred uh, for for three million dollars, I could put a hundred bucks a month in it. No, you can't. Well, 
see guys i'm going back to termite crowd this whole life guy he's lying again he's just a second ago tell me what more expensive you got to explain yourself all right so first of all let's it requires us to talk about how many people have term insurance i don't know a lot right how many people die that have term insurance coverage um everybody who everybody dies i'll start with that (laughs) okay we're at 100%. All right. So if there's 1,000 people that buy term insurance, yeah. how many of them die? We already said 100 of them. 1,000. Right. It, how many of those 1,000 that have term insurance actually still have it when they die? How many have the coverage that they bought term insurance for when they die? Um, well, the statistics, I mean, all the studies I've ever read says about 2% or less. So that'd be like 20, 20 people or so died with the term policy in place. So they got the coverage. It paid off within the term that they owned it. Right? Yeah. So here's my question. If I pay for something for 30 years and it never pays back a dollar, how much did it cost me? Oh, uh, it costs however much I paid for it times 30 years. That's pretty expensive, right? I mean, the same thing as car insurance. As compared to what? Compared to in whole life, I put in my premiums and we've already talked on previous um, podcasts that those are really should be treated as deposits rather than, and we'll get into that in a little bit here um, in this chapter, but those are deposits towards an asset. And when I have put in a certain amount of premiums that now I have the same exact amount of cash how much did it actually cost me? Explain that differently. Okay. If I put in $100,000 a year for seven years. I got, I've put in 700000 I put in 700000 If I, at that same time, have $700,000 of cash available to me in the policy, how much did that coverage cost me in uh, seven, after seven years? Yeah, not taking into account inflation didn't cost me anything. Zero, right? Yeah. Which one's more expensive? Term or whole life. Well, in that scenario, if I died, then yeah, I, w- I would say that the cost would be more expensive um, to have had the term. But I mean, I it cost me a lot more to outlay it over that time. What if I'd taken that difference and invested into something? I'd have that extra money. And what if it, you know, if I'm getting my twelve percent, I mean, I got a lot of money. Well, sure, I got more than seven hundred thousand. Well, sure you would. But if you're one of the less than two percent. Are you so sure about that? Man, you are so easy. I can like put you in a corner. I mean, don't get this guy called up by somebody. I mean, man, you're just a, a flyover. Like you are taking a lot of, I'm just taking a lot of the assumptions of the market. I'm looking at things from the perspective of what I hear, which I don't believe, right? I don't know that's going to have more money in seven years. I mean, what seven years? We don't know. The last seven years? Yeah, I could probably say, yeah, if I would have put it in the market, I'd have a lot more. There's a lot of seven-year time frames that I'd have a lot less, right? I mean, it, it all depends on when's happening compared to what? And this is going back to our, our conversation is, I, I would say this too, Joey, and you, you, didn't, you didn't mention this, but I know this information, is that the cost of the insurance is actually the same. They, they know what it costs to provide the uh, insurance to the individual, the only difference, the metrics that's changing the numbers is the, the time frame in which they're doing it, right. right? Now, again, assuming the same health rating, right? Different health ratings do cost different things. But if I, you know, if I buy uh, gasoline for an RV and I fill that thing up, let's just say it has a 100-gallon tank and it's 229 a gallon, how much does it cost me? 
$2,290. How much? Good night. Let's get this guy an Apple iPhone calculator, right? It's going to cost us $229, right? I mean, come my on. My bad. Oh, yeah. oh, my bad. Okay. I, I, I'll give you a pass since I completely whiffed earlier when I was talking. That's right. It cost me $229, right, to fill up my RV. Now, I uh, behind it, I'm pulling a trailer with a little lawnmower on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I fill up the lawnmower that has a gallon tank. Yeah, I'm going with $2.29 on that one. (laughs) Okay, good. I simplified (laughs) that one for you. Did it cost more to fill up um, the RV than the um, lawnmower? Yeah. Yeah, It costs the same. It's just I put in more. Well, yeah. I mean, it's good. It didn't cost any more. It's the same amount of money. Now, if per I, gallon, it's the same. It's Absolutely. the same. Now, it's not like when I'm on, when I'm riding that boat on the lake and I go by that one that one marina and they charge me four sixty eight to fill you know for the same thing I can get for two twenty nine. Uh, I don't think that costs me more. But if I'm gonna fill it up, no, no matter what, because I don't. I mean, by the way, I'm not pushing a lawnmower, but let's assume I, that lawnmower would uh, would run two hundred twenty nine trips. Right or a hundred trips. I'm sorry, I messed up my math on that. And I, I'd run it out of gas a hundred times. Would I not put two hundred twenty nine dollars in it? You would. It's about the length. So the same thing is to be true with term insurance versus whole life insurance. I'm literally buying a shorter version. I'm buying a ten year version, a twenty year version, a thirty year version. And what happens the the longer I go? If I get a ten year policy, uh, is it uh, does it cost less? Uh, uh, per month than if I go buy a 20-year policy? Absolutely. Yeah. As I buy a 30-year policy, which one's uh, more expensive? The 30-year is always going to be more If expensive. I buy a 50-year policy? Absolutely. Buy a 100-year policy? Yeah. But by the way, is it more expensive? No, it's just no. more outlay. Initial outlay because I'm going over a longer period of time. I'm filling up the gas tank to go either 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. That's right. So the cost is going to be actually the same. The difference is, is what else am I getting for it, right? So in an insurance policy, we are overfunding it. They are going to put a lot more money in those earlier years to account for it, which creates equity. No different than equity in the house. We did a podcast on that. Right. Money going in there. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system? Stallion, that's why we created the Passive Income Operating System, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to whatswhatwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared, though, for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30-second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. So there is a difference, and there is a reason why Nelson started going in to this to kind of determine why is it that people are putting money in life insurance. He had a pretty interesting thing, though. He started talking about categorization and how people had miscategorized whole life or ordinary life, as he was referring to it. Go into that a little bit. Okay, so he's always talking about it from the qualities that something has is how you categorize it, right? The characteristics. And in this case, he said, man, this is really 
it's been miscategorized. It's not life insurance. He said they called it ordinary life. That was like over the span of a hundred years. He said, I submit this is a gross misnomer. When you classify something's based on its major characteristics. And so then he talks about this is really a, has banking qualities. Okay. So let's break those down. What does he mean by banking qualities? Well, what has to happen in a banking function? There has to be a deposit or access to capital, and there has to be somebody to borrow. That's all that has to happen in a banking function. And aren't those things present in a whole life policy? Well, they are because you're putting in more money than the insurance is required. Right. And so because of that, you're building up access to cash. And if I'm going to be sitting on, uh, you know, if I'm going to live 50 years, now, no, we know, none of us know how long we're going to live, but let's just say if I'm going to take this to my, uh, the normal average age out there, I'm going to go out 45, 50 years. I'm probably going to, there's a lot more use of that money over that 45, 50 years than there is the one time and when I die. That's right. And, and so it would almost be like, like what else is there out there that you would dictate the name of it by what's at the very end and it's like the the one percent of the whole life of that product or that service well I, the one thing that comes to my mind is if i was fishing right okay. i mean, if, mean if, by that? well if i go fishing you know my kids always go dad we're out there like five minutes we ain't caught anything let's go home <laughs> and my comment That's me, by the way yeah my comment is is that this is called fishing it's not called catching Right. Ah. So, so that, that would, would the analogy that comes to my mind is they want to recategorize fishing and call it catching. Well, yeah, that would only be true if you spent every time you put the water, put the hook in the water, you caught something. Right. right? Which, it, which would be wonderful, by the way, it create a complete monster in people. <laughs> um, and you know, it, we wouldn't, it wouldn't be what it's it is. Sport at that it point. wouldn't be the hobby and then pastime that we want it to be, at least some of us want it to be. But yeah, I mean, it's, what's identified as fishing is that's what I'm doing 99% of the time. I'm catching 1% of the time. It's the thing that happens at the very end. That's kind of what he said. When you look at life insurance, they, they miscategorize it. They actually should have said that this is a banking, uh, a banking system with the death benefit thrown in for good measure, as he would say in his um, seminars for the heck of it. Yeah, I do remember him saying that over and over again. Yeah, so it, it's definitely been miscategorized. And that's what he said is that there's all sort of other things that have been miscategorized in history. And it takes a long time for people to change the way they think about those things. So let's, let's dive in a little bit because we're, I want to kind of get into the very end toward end of the chapter where he kind of goes into the way that you design this insurance policy. We get to ask this a lot. And if you've never had a chance to sit down with us, you're going to go talk to someone else. This is a part will help you immensely making sure that your policy is set up correctly because page 38 in the book and page 39 in the book determine most of the mistakes as it comes to the creation of the policy. That's right. Which we would argue, and we've said this numerous times, your use of the policy is more important than the policy itself. However, if you don't set it up properly, you really have started behind the eight ball in some cases. I mean, just this past week, I'm, I'm putting a client into a different policy because he thought he started in the right way ended up with an IUL policy, an equity index universal life. Two years in, he's got no cash to show for it. And he's like, 
just sick to his stomach. He said, I thought I was doing infinite banking. Well, I, I think back to when you and I met for the first time, you had one of these traditional, ordinary life, whole life policies oh. that had no money or <laughs> very little money going to the paid up rider function. So let's look at this chart on page 38. So you can't see it if you're just listening to this, but if you have a book, don't be trying to look at it when you're driving down the road or running on the treadmill, but at some point, stop, take a look at this. I want you to look at this continuum. On the right side, we've got term insurance policies. On the far left, side we have what's called single premium policies. Now he would talk about this and say on the far left where there's a single premium policy, that is a way that you can go buy insurance. You right. literally can put in one payment, it gives you a death benefit, and there's no more payments required. For the rest of your life. Right. Coverage and so, for the whole life. And so that literally is the largest outlay of money for kind of the smallest death benefit, right? You're going to make one payment, but it's got to last, let's just say 100 years, right. but it's going to be a small amount. As opposed to on the far right-hand side where the outlay is very small initially, that's term insurance, but you can get the largest death benefit for that smallest outlay. And he kind of says in between are all these different methods. So every time you move on this continuum from right where term insurance is to the left, you're shortening time. You're going from 100 years to 65, 65 years, yeah. 20 years, 10 years. And he says in the book that actually the shorter the time frame of the policy, the better it is for infinite banking. Why is that? Because what is happening when you're shortening the time frame is you're allocating more of the premium towards cash accumulation and less towards death benefit. We, we say this all the time. It's like we're depressing the death benefit to force cash to grow faster. Yeah, the best thing you could do is if the insurance company would literally sell you a million dollar policy uh, with a hundred million dollars of cash or put it another way, it would sell as a dollar death benefit for a hundred thousand dollars of cash. Like we literally want the smallest death benefit allowed. That's right. And so as he's talking about this, first of all, there's a couple of things. If you're sitting with somebody and you're trying to get this set up and they lead with how much death benefit do you want? Or if they lead with, Hey, um, this is going to have an even number death benefit. Chances are you're not getting set up on the right policy. Yeah, you and I have no idea what the death benefits are going to be because we don't ask those questions. It, it's a We reverse engineer it. It's how much money do we want to deposit into our system? What are we trying to accomplish? Are we trying to take over a million dollars of debts, a million dollars of assets that we're going to try to finance through our, our policies? Then, okay, it's going to require this amount of cash flow in order to do it. And then it we go to the insurance companies and use the the, uh, the tables the government have created, the limits, and say, what's the smallest death benefit? So it comes out. So he goes and he looks at this example, uh, this um, illustration, this graph on page 38, and it, it shows this thing called a modified endowment contract. What's that? So the modified endowment contract is the, the line that I would say is the IRS says is too good right? If you get over this modified endowment contract line, that means you're trying to put too much cash in with not enough death benefit. It, aren't they always trying to limit too good, right? I mean, it's, it's sort not of too good for them. It's too good for you. Right. I mean, this is, this is a problem in my life. You get too much, too good, right? It won't allow you to have it. But th this was something that came out of some laws, uh, 
the Tamara and Defer Acts in the uh, mid 80s, where basically you had some investors who had come out of some different real estate dealings. They started putting in large amounts of money into life insurance. A lot of them were using a single premium policy, but putting one single lump sum in there. And the government realized they were creating uh, tax loopholes. They went buying life insurance for the purpose of life insurance. They were buying literally a place to shove cash right. that had high returns. So they got out of that, right? The government said, no, we're going to have to limit that. We're going to have to make sure there's a certain amount of death benefit. So really the single premium policy, it does exist. Just nobody usually uses it because of the tax implications. Right. But Nelson said we can actually use a form of single premium insurance. And that's in what? The paid up additions riders. So that rider is a one payment. Now you can keep paying it every year if you want to, but it's literally one payment that buys a certain amount of insurance, which is very small, but with a high amount of cash. Right. If you couple that, and he talks about this on page 38, if you couple the ordinary life or the paid up at 65 type of base policy with the paid up additions rider, you're now you've cozied up. What has he say it? He said snuggled up, snuggling up to the mech line, which yeah. I love that. You want to be as close to that line without going over. And that's why you need to make sure it's properly structured like this. What's the implication of going over the mech line for those who are not familiar? All right. So that's where the IRS is going to treat the, um, the, the loan against that policy or the withdrawal from that policy, just like any other kind of qualified plan, 401k, IRA, thing like that. They're going to um, tax you on those gains uh, as you take them out. And if, if you take those out so pre-59 like and a half, you would be subject to the same 10% penalties that exist with that. Exactly. So kind of what Nelson says, our objective is to stay on the right side or beneath that line. And so we want to snuggle up to it using his words by using those paid up additions riders, which are the same as the equivalent of a single premium policy and combining it with a base chassis life insurance policy. So now, this is something that anybody who really understands what we're talking about infinite banking knows how to do, but there's very few that we find actually are able to do it. And there is a little bit of a science to it. Just, I mean, just to be really practical with you, if you're looking at a contract like this, you should be somewhere between 25 to maybe as much as 50% on a base contract, depending on age and health. There's some, some variation. You're going to have to give me some numbers on that. So if I'm putting in uh, $50,000 a year, how much of that needs to go toward the paid up rider versus how much of that's going toward the base. All right. You get, you're giving me doing math on the spot. I'm going to go with a hundred thousand dollar premium. Okay. If you're going to do a hundred thousand a year, you need to do somewhere between 25 to maybe as much as 50,000 is going towards a base premium. And then the rest of that being towards paid up additions. So what happens, and again, there is, again, your, your age, your health, and all of that determines it. The length of time in which that rider is being added onto it determines it. So when we're looking at this, there's not a right or wrong. Again, that's where the art of this has to identify right. to your scenario. And we're not going to tell you which one is right for you because we'd have to see your situation. But like you said, you should be getting 50 to around 80% cash value of every dollar you put in there, you're one. If you're not, you're most likely working with somebody who doesn't understand what you're trying to accomplish. And maybe they're not doing something wrong, but they're looking at this more as insurance instead of cash. Right. That, that should be kind of a red flag to you. Yep. And you need to go back and, and review that. Okay. So we've talked really practically about this. Let's, let's dive in really quickly on the thought process he talks about on page 39, universal life, variable life, 
And now the new edition in the 2000s era is indexed equity or equity indexed universal life. Why does Nelson specifically say, I don't uh, recommend this for the infinite banking concept? So one, you got to understand where all this stuff comes from, right? So he wrote this book in 2000. He was in the insurance industry in the 80s as well. So he noticed when universal life came on the scene in the early 80s, what was the motivation behind it? There's people now that are just now getting into the life insurance industry, financial industry, and they don't understand where all these products were created. Whole life policies have literally been around 150, 200 years. Right. The universal life products that we know of, most of them today have only been around for the last 10 or 15 years. The, the original universal life policies came out in the early 80s, and it, it started as a, a way that insurance agents were sitting there competing with people who were putting money into CDs at 13 and 15%, right? Because in the early 80s, yeah. interest rates spiked, went way up, right? Yeah. So these guys are trying to compete with that, and they're saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Our, our whole life products are based off of our bond portfolio being, these are 30-year bonds. There, there's going to be a delay where they're still paying 8%, 6%, which right, right now we'd be excited about that. But they're seeing the, those things not changing quickly enough yeah. in terms of their internal rate of return. Yeah, they're showing somebody how their whole life policy is going to earn 8% over their lifetime. And they're like, Pfft. I can go get a CD at 13, right? Now we all laugh at that today. We're like, wow, that'd be awesome. But the, the reality is, is that, you know, most people are short-term focused. They get really caught up in what's happening in the markets that single day, that year. And so the insurance companies made an adjustment. They said, all right, well, we're going to compete with the rising interest rates. Well, the only way we can do that, we got to unbundle. We got to strip out all the guarantees. We got to take out the guarantee for the death benefit, for the cash accumulation, that you're ever going to get any of this money back. All those things they had to do away with. And what they came up with is one-year term insurance right. bundled with some sort of savings component. So just kind of let's analyze what one-year term insurance would look like. Okay, so what, when you say that, just imagine this, that the insurance company is putting a value on your life it, that they're going to charge you for that particular year. So as you get older, is the cost of that going to rise or drop? It's going to rise. Well, just looking at the chart that we were just talking about on page 36 a second ago. Pig in the Python. Yeah, Pig in the Python showed that the rate at which people start to die is the older they get. That's right. Every single year, that rate is going to increase. So, hence, the cost for the same $1,000 of insurance, $100,000, million, whatever the number is, is going to be a higher price. So, they said, all right, we're going to strip this thing down try to get it as low as we can. So if you're buying it at 25, the, the rate for that one year is going to look really good. Really low. Yeah. All right. And I'm going to combine it. I'm going to go buy something that has a really high rate. In the early 80s, that was junk bonds. Now, they didn't call them junk bonds. That's what they ultimately became referred to. They called them high yield bonds. Yeah. But really, they were just buying junk and they referred to them as junk bonds and they could have 13, 14, 15% yields, right? That's right. Then you fast forward into the 90s and you get variable life. What was that based off of? Well, that was based off of mutual funds because everybody starts raising their hands saying, whoa, 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 stock market's going crazy. I got to have something to compete with that. Well, what happened to the universal life? Let's start there first. You, oh, you fast forwarded. I'm sorry. I'm you, sorry. you jumped to the sister or to the cousin <laughs> variable. What happened to the universal life policies? Uh, they didn't make it. Why didn't they make it? What happened? Well, because the cost continued to rise for the, the one-year term. And the actual returns from the junk bonds started to 
wane and drop. And so now they didn't wane and drop. They literally uh, like fast. Yeah. They, they, they free fall to the ground. It was like a, a big sound, like, boom. I think atomic bomb, those things blew up, right? They went straight down. So you had this, this uh, contract that was built on, okay, Joe, you're going to give me a hundred dollars a month. And we're going to buy a million dollars of life insurance on you. are young, you're in good shape. Well, not you, but I mean, most 30 year olds, you're they're similar in age to you, right? And uh, we're going to earn 13%. And man, at 13%, we're just going to knock this thing dead. No big difference. Hey, this sounds a lot like what was going on in 2006. Yeah, I know it's a million dollar house, but here's the deal. You're going to get it at 1.5% interest. Exactly. <laughs> We've heard that before. Now the interest rate will change every year, but don't worry about it. Yeah. We won't worry about the future. That's what was happening with these universal life policies. And so again, two, three years goes down the road. Uh, they're older. The cost per insurance is more expensive. And now all of a sudden, whammy those junk bonds go to nothing or or they go down to like one or two percent from 13 or 14 percent here here's the insurance agent <laughs> um uh, yeah i'm sorry um uh, mr murray i uh we're, in order to keep this policy alive we're going to need you to go ahead and up your premium from a hundred dollars a month to a thousand a month okay you good with that <laughs> what yeah. I can imagine that conversation. That's really what was going to happen, right? Because in order to keep it in force, keep it being available for it to, uh, to pay out at some point in the future, the costs are getting so expensive. You got to put way more money in there. So what do people do? They're like, no, I'm gone. I'm out of those. Right. And so now we fast forward what you were saying into the 90s. And the, the cute cousin comes around the corner. That's mutual funds. That's variable life insurance. And the stock market has been going off like a rocket. It's, it, you know, rising tide. It's going up. And, man, everybody's jumping in. Same sort of thing. Look, we can't compete with this with these whole life policies, man. They're out there buying mutual funds now that are earning 8 10 15%. We need something to compete. Right. What do I do? Well, we uh, just replace the junk bonds with mutual funds. Yeah, they, they, they basically came up with the same thing. They said, you know what? Um, same chassis. That 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 I know that junk bond thing didn't work last time, but let's go on over here. Let's let's get the let's get the mutual funds out. These things are, I mean, I guarantee just rubber stamp, twelve percent. Let's do this thing. <laughs> and, and so they bought the same stuff. And for a handful of years, they're rocking and rolling. Man, this looks so good. And then the dot com crash. Mm. We had September eleventh. That's right. What happened to those accounts? Yeah, those uh, imploded. Same exact concept, right? The actual now, value of the accounts dropped with the market. So here's a real-life scenario, Joey. I got in the business 2004, and I actually bought one of these for myself and for Megan. So I had one of these variable, user, variable universal life policies, and they were going up every single year. Man, it was like genius, you know? I mean, my financial IQ was so high, you wouldn't even believe it. When we have get my head through the door. And all of a sudden 2008 happens and the market crashes and my account value is cut in half. Mm. And what I noticed, what happened is, is that let's just say I had a million dollars of life insurance, death benefit, and I had a hundred thousand dollars of cash value. Well, the way it works is I pay insurance at whatever age I am that year, one year term insurance, but it's based upon the gap between the death benefit and what my cash is. They call that your net at risk. So I was paying for a $900,000 of insurance at age 32, whatever I was at that point. Well, sounds good, right? Well, when the market crashed and I lost half my money, 
And now my death benefit is still a million, but my cash is now 50,000 and I'm a year older. Now at age 33, more expensive for the same 900,000, but I'm not paying for 900,000 anymore. I'm paying for 950,000. That's right. And that's what we started seeing across the board is that the gap was getting wider. And so the same concept came back. It was <laughs> in order for you to keep this, you got to put more money in it. Right. That's not a good, that's not a good conversation. No. And, and who it, wants to be in that position, by the way, I, I don't think many people now we have, you know, we, we, we've got the second cousin out there on the marketplace right now, the index universal life, IUL is what most people refer to it. And, and that we get the question all the time, is this a good product for using it in infinite banking? And Nelson says, no, no. Why did he say not. no? Well, for the same reasons that you just brought up from the, the, the uglier cousins um, from previous times, the UL and the, the variable life, same thing is true. And here's really, rather than we've, we've talked about how the sausage was made up to this point enough, I think, that here's really the takeaways, okay? When you're doing infinite banking, I'm just going to read some of these questions that we've heard in the community, other people have brought up. Do you want a product where the death benefit is guaranteed no matter what or where it can go away? Uh, I want one that's guaranteed. Okay. Check mark for whole life. Well, I want it guaranteed because my investment is not in the life insurance. My investment is in the real estate or the business I'm getting into. Right. This is the savings, not the investment. Right. right. All right. How about do you want a product where you are guaranteed that your money will come back to you with interest or is it okay if all the money you put in goes to zero? I've already had one of those that went to zero. I'll take the one where it comes back to me. Again, these are just, I mean, just, there should be no brainers here. Do you want a product where the premium you're paying is guaranteed or one where down the road, the insurance com company can come back and ask for more? Yeah. I've already been around those ones where they have to come back and ask for more. And I, that, that to me is, is a great kind of final uh, kind of thought there as you're thinking about this from a perspective of one, what are, what are these different products? And, and, and we know that they're tools, right? And, and Robert Kiyosaki always says they're not good or bad investments or good or bad investors. And for what we're talking about, when we're talking about investing yourself, investing things that you know about, things that you're passionate about, that's where value and return will be created, not in the insurance policy itself. So yes, do we need to seek out good insurance companies, companies that have great returns, the dividends, all that sort of stuff. But there's so many of these great mutual whole life insurance companies out there that we can get a good return within them without taking all the risks. Because what we're trying to do is actually reduce our risk and increase our return. So that's where the safety of these uh, dividend paying life insurance policies should be focused. And the return comes from the things that we invest in, in and around our knowledge base. So this was part eight, becoming your own banker. No, it was a little bit long. I felt like we had some good discussion around the difference between whole life and term. The answer is yes, we own both. There's not a right or wrong. Uh, wrong, wrong, wrong. Yep. Hey, I continue to mess that up, but thank you so much for listening. Thank you uh, for all the feedback that you give us. And also make sure you jump into the community because we're going to be having these discussions, I'm sure, over and over again as the years go by. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry.
See you next episode.